The verses we're going to be reading will be up on the screen behind me, um, and also the references there, John 16, verses 5 through to 16, if you've got a Bible in front of you. From verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you'll see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. Well, good morning and uh, welcome again to City Life. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to have you along here. Uh, thanks for braving the cold and being here with us today. I uh, hope you enjoy your time. As Jacob said, we're in, a, uh, in the book of John at the moment, walking through this book of John and have been for the last four or five months and really seeing uh, who Jesus is and what he, what he, uh, what he has done and, and uh, what he is like. And we've seen so far that in the book of John... Uh, Jesus, John telling us, is, is the Christ, he's the Son of God, and in him is life. First half of the book, we saw Jesus perform uh, seven signs or seven miracles, really, really revealing uh, who he is as, as the Christ. Uh, second half of the book, which we're in now, we've seen all these miracles have now sort of stopped, have ceased, and Jesus is just focusing on the last sort of week of his life, all really heading towards the cross, all really heading to what he came to do to die for the sins of the world. And for the past little while, a few weeks here, we've been looking at Jesus preparing uh, his followers for his departure and really telling them what it is like to be a follower of him, what they are to be like if they're going to truly uh, follow him. We've seen that. We read in John 26, uh, sorry, 12, 26, Jesus say, if anyone serves me, uh, he must follow me. Uh, and then Jesus has shown what that's like. He, he washed the disciples' feet and saying, well, if you want to be like me, do the same for one another. We've been looking at this idea of following him. We've seen that true followers do really follow. So that's where we are today. We're going to jump into chapter 16, but I'm going to pray uh, before we begin. So let's, let's talk to God together. Father, we want to thank you for uh, this morning that you have uh, made it that we can be here in this building, that you have brought each of us here with a message to say to us, to comfort us, to challenge us, to remind us of who Jesus is. Uh, and you know that's what our souls need. And so this morning we just ask that as we've come here, that you would help us to just sort of quieten our souls, that you would meet us. We thank you that you are here by, here by the presence of your Holy Spirit and that we'll be comforted by that. Lord, give us minds that are, that are steady and that are slowed, have slowed down and not worried about what has gone on yesterday or will go on tomorrow or this afternoon. Help us just to sit still and hear the creator of the universe speak to us. Lord, use me as your servant to speak truth 
able to all be out the glory of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Now, I wonder if you've ever been given a, uh, a task or a job where you feel like you're way in over your head and you have no help or no support. Now, this happens to me regularly, uh, but I can remember one specific time, and it was back in, uh, back in primary school when I was in year six. Uh, I had this teacher, and take note, you teachers out here, uh, that uh, what she did, at the start of each day, she'd walk into the classroom, and she would come up to the blackboard, that's how old I am, we had blackboards, yep, we'd chalk, real chalk, and uh, she'd write down a list of all the work she wanted you to get done in the day, and she would just list it out for the whole day. And, uh, and like I would say, like, you know, page 35, 36 of your maths book, uh, read this book, write this report, do all this. And she'd write, and it was more than enough for the whole day, so you had to work quick and efficiently to get through this. After she had taken five minutes or so to explain all the work, she would then get her cup of coffee and sit with the paper for the rest of the day. That's what she did. She was very up to date with current affairs, though. You've got to give her that, right? She, she read the paper. And the thing was, right, she was a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a dragon lady. And so you didn't want to talk to her or approach her with any of your questions. She would, she would regularly berate the rest of, uh, a child in front of the whole class. And so everyone was too afraid to even talk to her. And so if you didn't understand anything or had a question about something, everyone was too afraid to ask her a question. And so you'd also get in trouble if you didn't finish the work that she'd set. Well, given this task, this job with no hope, uh, with no help and feeling overwhelmed and out of, out of our depths, really, and we've given no guidance. Now, I wonder if you've ever felt like that in life where, you've, where you feel like me in year six, out of your depth, no help, no guidance, not sure what to do, but given a task to get done. I don't know about you, but I think we can often feel like that when it comes to, to, to Jesus. Whether you follow Jesus or not, you can hear what Jesus calls his followers to do, to be like, how to live, how to act, and you think, well, I can't do that. Uh, I can't give that up. You hear what Jesus says about relationships or sexuality or about loving others or forgiving, or about money, about generosity, possessions, or community. You think, there's no way, Jesus, I can do that. I can't do that. I can't give up what, what you're calling me to do. It's an impossible task. Or maybe you've walked with Jesus for a while and you've tried to follow him and you've tried to, to do what he calls you to do and you've, and you've failed and you fail regularly. And you're tired of failing it can, and it can seem too much and maybe it, it causes you to feel distant or cold towards him or stale in your relationship with him. And maybe it feels like God doesn't care or he's not close anymore or maybe he has left you. Or maybe you sit here in church each week or you sit in small group week by week and you hear this idea of, again about making disciples. Go make disciples. Sharing your faith with other people. And you hear it and think, well, I have tried. And it didn't work. And I lack courage and I lack confidence and I don't even know what to say to anyone. And I don't want to sound like a weird Christian. And you're tired of it. You're tired of trying and you feel like you've been given an impossible task and you're out of your depth. You've tried, but it hasn't worked. Well, today we're going to look, as I said again, at Jesus' words to his followers. And he's giving them these words just before he leaves. So these are like the last few hours of his life. And so the fact that Jesus is about to, to leave his followers, these words hold such importance. It's almost his last words to them before he leaves. So they've got to be really important what he's going to say. So what does he speak about? Well, he speaks about another helper 
who's going to come and help them to actually be followers in this world. Another helper who is not only going to be uh, with them, but actually in them. Jesus is going to talk about the Holy Spirit. His last words on earth are about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to followers of Jesus to empower them to actually follow. And I want to say this morning to you here, uh, the Holy Spirit is an absolute game changer. And I think here today in the church, we need to hear these words of Jesus. I think we, we, have, we have a lot to learn about the Holy Spirit's role, but also how to live empowered by Him in this world as His followers. And I, I want to say I'm genuinely excited to share with you what I've been learning this week and what God has taught me about the Holy Spirit. And I think when, the, when we understand this gift of the Holy Spirit that is given, it really changes how we relate to God, how we experience God, and how we follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to show you this, and I want to jump to John 14 and John 16 today with you. But I'm going to show you sort of three movements that I think that teach us about the Holy Spirit. Here they are on the screen behind me. We have the Holy Spirit, we have His, His presence, His power, and His purpose and our purpose. So His presence, His power, His purpose, and our purpose. They all start with P, so you can remember. You're welcome. Anyway, now when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think there are so many different thoughts and ideas and beliefs about the Holy Spirit. What I want to try and do today is strip all that back and just go to Jesus. If He is the one who sends the Holy Spirit, if He, if, if he is God and the Holy Spirit is God, then surely He's the place we're going to go to to learn about this. So we're going to jump into John 14 and 16. I want to say if there are, uh, the, the main two chapters in the Bible about the Holy Spirit are John 14 and John 16. We're going to try and jump into those today and learn about the Holy Spirit together here. So let's start by looking at His presence. Let me read for you John 16, uh, chapter 16, sentences 4 to 7. I'll read them for you. It says this. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, I did, for if I did not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We read here, like I said, Jesus is just about to leave his disciples. Uh, he's about to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Uh, he will die and he will rise again to new life, defeating sin and Satan and death, and then ascend to the right hand of the Father. And his followers here didn't really know a lot what was going on. They, all they knew was that he was going to leave them. They knew that. And they said, well, Jesus says they're filled with grief. They'd given up, you know, three years of their lives. They'd given up their jobs, and now they're following Jesus around. And he's like, well, three years in, I'm out of here. And they're like, hang on, what? What's going on? And they're obviously filled with grief and they're upset. But I don't know if you caught what Jesus said in sentence 7. I just want to focus on sentence 7 for a second. Have a look on the screen again. I'll read again. This is really important. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go, for if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus has said plenty of crazy things on earth here, but this is up there. The helper Jesus is talking about here is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's better that I go and that I leave you. It's to your advantage that I go. Why? Well, then you will get the Holy Spirit. Then I'll send him. I wonder, would you prefer Jesus beside you or the Holy Spirit in you? If you had a choice, which one? Jesus beside you 
or the Holy Spirit in you? You know what Jesus' answer is? It's clear the Spirit inside you. It's to your advantage that I go, so that you get the Holy Spirit in you and with you. In preparation for this, this week, I read a book, I was reading a book called, uh, the, topic, the, the, the title of the book is, Why the Spirit in, uh, Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You. It's a great book, and I think I, I encourage you to read it. But it's what Jesus is saying here. The Spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. And I wonder if you believe this. Jesus walked for three years with his followers as their teacher, shepherd, and helper, and says, now I'm going to leave you, but it's better because I'm going to send another helper to help you. I wonder if you view the Holy Spirit like this. Are you as excited and positive about the Holy Spirit as Jesus is? If not, doesn't this show how far removed we are from grasping the reality of what Jesus is offering to us and has given us in the Holy Spirit? I want to jump to chapter 14 for a second. I'm going to read to you sentences 15 to 19 on the screen. Jesus speaking again. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, I live, you will also live. I love this. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another helper. He's saying he's another. He, he's, he's the same kind. He's like me. Just as I was your helper, he too will be your helper. He too is God, just like me. And this helper, God, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will be what? He'll be in you forever. Forever. And in 17, it says, God, the Holy Spirit is not just, not just with you, but he dwells in you. He lives in you. This is a massive, profound truth right here. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the very presence of God living in you. That, that is just a, a mind-blowing truth. You have God, the Holy Spirit, in you. God is in you. Then Jesus keeps going. Sentence 18. How amazing is this? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. I will come to you, he says. I think he's saying here because of the, the, who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit in Trinity. One, in three per, one God, three persons. The Holy Spirit dwelling in you means that you have the Father and the Son dwelling in you as well. Jesus says in sentence 23 of chapter 14, uh, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me and keeps my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him that we will come to him and make a home with him. Again, crazy thought that God is dwelling in you. He's taken up his residence in you. You know, if you read the Old Testament at all, you have this idea of the, the Old Testament prophets looking forward to a day, longing towards a day where they can have this real intimacy with God. God now has done this and he chooses to live in us. We are not orphans. We are not alone. We are the very temple of the living God. God dwells in his people. He dwells in those who follow him. If you're a follower of Jesus, he lives in you day by day. And I wonder if you've stopped and pondered this amazing truth and, and, and thought through the reality of what this means for you. God is with you. A little while ago, I, um, when I was younger, in my wild days, I, um, I went skydiving with my brother. And uh, 
I, I've mentioned this before, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I'm way more afraid of it now than I was before. It freaked me out. It was great but terrifying, way more terrifying than I imagined. You know, jump out of a plane at uh, 13,000 13, feet, you have a 45-second free fall through the air, and uh, then you start parachuting to the ground. And the part that I found the worst was parachuting. I started feeling really sick. I think the blood goes from your head to your feet or feet to your head, whatever. And I, like, you're parachuting down, and I started dry reaching like I was going to vomit whilst I was hanging in the air. And the, my guide behind me was like, just aim it forward, aim it forward, mate. Um, um, <laughs> and uh, he was pretty keen on that. And, uh, and, uh, but then I started, like, then he's, it's so quiet, like two and a half minutes of just trying to fall to the ground. And it's so quiet. And you start thinking, you look down, and there's like little ants, and there are people in cars down the bottom there. And you look up to the parachute, you're thinking, there's just a few strings holding me. If one of those snaps, I might just fall to my death. And so you start pondering that, and like, well, it's just too much. Anyway, um, but what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel secure when you're doing this is you have the presence of an instructor right there behind you if you do, if you do tandem jumps. And you really can't get any closer to this, to this person behind you. Uh, they are tied and tethered to you. Uh, so much so, they're so close to you, can feel their breath on the back of your neck. A little too close to me, um, don't like that, but you know, whatever. Uh, but what it does is it makes you feel safe and secure. And it makes you do something crazy like jumping out of a plane because you have an expert right there behind you. You can feel their presence and it assures you that it's going to be okay because they've done this thousands of times and they know exactly what to do uh, in every situation. As followers of Jesus, you have the very presence of God not only with you, but in you. Through the Holy Spirit, we get, we get this taste of, of I think, of, of heaven, of the new age, where Jesus says in the book of Revelation, now the dwelling place of man is with God. There's this now intimacy that we experience, not in its fullness yet, but we will one, one day, but we experience a taste of that now by the Spirit living in us. And I really think, and I, I need this too, I, I think we really need, badly need, more of a deepening consciousness of this sacred presence in us. We, we are not alone. We are not orphans in this world. We need not to hide, to fear, or worry, because we have the presence of God in each of us. And the Holy Spirit makes God's presence real to all of us. Through the Spirit, God is closer than ever before throughout of history. He, he's, he's in you. He's present with us in a real way. As real as Jesus was with his disciples. He's even closer than that. We often say, oh, I wish I was there with Jesus and hearing what he said to us. No, no, Jesus is saying it's better you have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's more intimate. You have that. I think when we believe this, understand this, this will grow our intimacy with God. You know, God has always been about having a personal, interactive relationship with His people throughout, throughout, from Genesis right through to now. And I want to say living in the presence of God is absolutely essential to a thriving Christian life. One author puts it this way. It's on the screen behind me, I think. It says, it says victorious, uh, uh, victorious Christianity is not found in knowing a lot of theology or manufacturing the right kind of feelings. It's found in abiding in the presence of a person. See, I wonder how your relationship with God would change if you saw His presence with you as a real person. What if you understood the feeling of conviction as His actual voice speaking to you? What if you saw sin not so much as law-breaking, but grieving someone? How would your Christianity change if you saw that when you walked through the valley of the shadow of death, 
He was the one bringing promises of Scripture to mind and comfort you. Now, now please don't hear me saying that that the Christian life is about a series of spine-tingling experiences or inner voices. Yeah, that, 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 that there will be times when we walk through that, that valley and, and, it seems, and it seems silent. By faith alone. Walking by faith often means staying the course when you can't see or feel anything and to suffer through times of dryness, having to cling to the promises of God. But it's not the same as saying that God is absent during those times. He's not. God the Holy Spirit is literally with us until the end of the age. And he's, promises, and he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. In the darkest moments of our lives, of our struggles, of our seasons, he is as real as the breath in our lungs. Followers of Jesus have the presence of God in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is an awesome, incredible truth that we need to cling to and, and understand deeper. That's his presence, but I want to show you his power. I want to show you the power of the Holy Spirit that helps follow us to follow. Have a look of, uh, at, at sentences 13 and 14 of chapter 16. It says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Here we read of the Spirit's power and his, really his role in the lives of followers. When you read chapters 14 and 16, you read Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit and, gives it sort of diff- and he gives him different titles to show his power and his role. He, Jesus will call here in sentence 13, uh, the, Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he says here, who guides into all truth. And the Spirit will not speak on his own, but only what he hears from the one who sent him, which is Jesus. The Holy Spirit points and guides us again to the truth over and over and over again. And we've learned from John 14 that Jesus is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Holy Spirit points us to Jesus again and again and again, reminds us of, of, of Jesus' words and his works. Jesus says, he doesn't remind us of, his, of the Spirit's own works, but of Jesus' works, and speaks only what, what Jesus tells him to say. He reminds us of the truth. And we need this day by day. We, I don't know about you, but every day I hear so many different truths. I speak different truths to myself that often lies. But the Spirit who reminds me of the truth, Jesus, and we need this day by day. Jesus says He speaks to us of what is to come. He reminds us of the reality of where I live, the time where I live, the gospel truth of what is to come, of what is past, of who I am. That's the Spirit's role. And his purpose is to illuminate this in my life, to illuminate Jesus in the gospel. Uh, A writer, J.R. Packer, calls the work of the Spirit a floodlight ministry, quietly turning everyone's attention to the Savior. That's what he does. John 14, 26, we read Jesus saying this. He says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And the Holy Spirit will bring things to mind and to your heart what Jesus has said. He'll make the Word of God come alive to you in your heart and applying uh, the, the God's Word to, to questions and to doubts. And the Spirit will lead us and give us the power to obey His Word. He brings to mind uh, the Word of God when we need it. He gives us spiritual eyes to see the beauty in God's Word, to, uh, the power to obey. How do we apply? 
He takes timeless truths and makes them come alive to us. Help us understand, implement them. Holy Spirit teaches us all things, it says, all things that Jesus taught. What we need to keep going every day. Remember what Jesus said to us as we, as we live in different seasons, different situations, different circumstances. Reminding us of what Jesus said of how we to live as his followers. Promises to cling to. That's his power in our life. And Jesus believed the Holy Spirit would be a better teacher than even he was. That might sound a bit strange, but Jesus explained that that the Holy Spirit can apply the word more powerfully because the Holy Spirit gets the word of truth and and pushes it to the deep recesses of our heart. He's a better teacher. This is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He does not merely just walk beside us, coaching and inspiring us. He's working in us, in depths of our hearts. A little while ago, uh, my wife Katie and my kids surprised me with, uh, which doesn't happen regularly, they're normally hopeless keeping secrets, especially Sav. But anyway, um, uh, uh, they surprised me and they took me to do something called flyboarding. I don't know if you know what flyboarding is. Uh, here's a picture of what it is. It's, fly, it's that. That's not me, obviously. I wish that was me. It's not. I'll show you a picture of me. It's not too bad. You got a picture of me? Yeah, all right. I feel like, I feel like Iron Man, you know, psh, you know, that sort of thing. That was me. It's called flyboarding. Now, it's quite difficult, and it was really cold that day, it was freezing, but it was a lot of fun. And so basically, the, you've got the jet ski, and there's water comes to that part, and it blasts out so hard that you can just go up. And you get as high as over 10 metres high, right? And so it's quite, quite high. And uh, the most difficult thing is, it's all about your balance in your feet. And you've got to try and balance the board, and if you tip too far forward, you'll just head dive into the... If you go back, you'll flip backwards, and you'll just fall. And you, there's no... It's like you've actually fallen off a ledge. There's no, it doesn't, it's not slow, it's just boom, hit the water really hard. And um, it's quite difficult, but uh, it was a lot of fun. We did that, and, uh, but what, I'm wearing a helmet there, and the cool thing is, in the helmet, there's a little earpiece, and the expert on the jet ski has a microphone. He talks to you as you're doing and tells you what you're doing wrong, gives you instructions. Now, it was really helpful um, in what he was saying, but his words didn't make a huge amount of difference to my abilities. Um, you know, he could have made me like, his words could have made me like a pro or made me pull backflips like I saw the professionals doing later on. His, his words to me during that time only went so far. You know, if he could somehow have held my balance or made my legs move a certain way and made me actually push me to do it, that would have been better, but he couldn't. He couldn't do that. He could just simply give me his words. So the Holy Spirit we have inside us, his power, is not just shouting instructions at us. He's in us, empowering us and guiding us, telling us things we need and, and helping us to hold fast the promises that we need to hear. He does not wait to be prompted. Or he guides and comforts us when, and when we need to hear it. I love that the, the Holy Spirit is called another helper. He's just like Jesus. In the, in the original language the Bible was written, it's uh, Koine Greek is what it's called. And the word for helper here in, the, in what, what Jesus is writing, the, the word translated is, is paraclete. That's, that's the word. And the word paraclete that relates to verbs meaning to, to encourage, to, to exhort, to, to comfort is what the word actually means. It can also relate to legal words. It can mean a legal advisor or a legal counsel or a prosecuting attorney. And as you read through John 14 and 16, Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit picks up all these meanings. The Holy Spirit engages in a wide variety of activities in the life of a believer. 
We see the Holy Spirit as a, as a prosecuting attorney who exposes sins of the world. We, he helps believers in their witness and strengthens and, and comforts them by, by his presence. He acts as an agent of revelation, reminding all that Jesus taught, just as Jesus did when he was on earth. The Holy Spirit is, is our helper, our present helper, who is just like Jesus. Just like Jesus walked alongside his disciples, we have the Holy Spirit in us, guiding us, doing this for us. I want to say that we, we, we have this presence who is doing this powerful thing in our lives day by day. We need to be listening and to leaning on him, as the Bible says, keeping in step with him, following his leading as he points us to Jesus. Now, this may sound, a strange, it may sound like a strange question. I don't think I've ever asked this before, but are you aware of the Holy Spirit's leadings in your life? Day by day, do you experience his power and his presence? as he calls you to follow Jesus? Do you experience his comfort and his guidance as you look to Jesus as the truth? Do you wait upon him, going with confidence, knowing and being sure of his empowerment as you go to lead you? The Holy Spirit is a gift given to followers of Jesus to empower them to follow, and he is essential. And we need to be aware of his presence and his power if we're actually going to live out all that Jesus calls us to be. He does not leave us alone as orphans. He gives us his presence in this world. That's his power. We have had his presence and his power. And finally, I want to show you his purpose. Let me read to you John 16, 8 to 11. Finally, his purpose. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What is he actually, what's his purpose? He says, and when he comes, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world according to sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is, is judged. We read here, really, the Holy Spirit is con- continuing on the work that Jesus did. When Jesus came, this is what he did. He, he, he convicted the world of, of these things, of, of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. He showed people they needed Jesus, they needed him alone, and that his death on the cross is what they need to look to. He exposed the false righteousness of the religious leaders who were saying, no, I'm good enough, I don't, need, I don't need you, Jesus. He spoke about judgment, that he's the judge, and he will come and he will judge all people. And the Holy Spirit is doing the same. He's continuing on Jesus' ministry. How does he do that? I want to take you to one final passage, John 15, 26 and 27. It says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send, Jesus is saying, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The purpose here of the Holy Spirit is to testify about what he has seen. He will convict people of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And he will do this in just two ways. Firstly, the Holy Spirit, he will convict people of these and testify to Jesus by, by working in the hearts of people who don't know him, like he did with every single one of us. The Bible teaches that no one can turn to Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit showing them their need or showing them their sin and their, and, their, and their false righteousness and then pointing them to the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who does that. It's His work, not our words or our arguments. It is His work and His work alone. That's, that's His work. And that's how He does that in our world. That's how firstly He does that. The second way He works is actually in the hearts of followers to help them testify about Jesus. 
we join in bearing witness to Jesus, convict people of their, of, of their need to know Jesus' love and grace and forgiveness. Followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit, and we join in His witness to the world. And He works His purpose out in and through us, who are indwelt by Him. If we have the Spirit, if we are true followers of Jesus, we must expect to be servers of witness as well. We say it many times here at City Light. If you're a follower of Jesus, He calls us to go and make disciples. But we've not been abandoned in this task. In fact, we, have, we are chosen instruments by God through the Spirit to go and testify with Him as He performs His ministry. And the Spirit empowers us to do this. Now I want to say, do we, do we understand this idea of the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial, vital, essential in seeing people come to know Jesus and empowering us to do so? As we go on pursue Jesus' mission, do we live of this sense of dependence of Jesus' Spirit? Do we believe that we can do nothing without Him? The Bible teaches it. It's, it's the Spirit who, who works in us and in people who don't know Him. And I want to say, if you grab hold of this, I find this more freeing and, and encouraging more than anything. It's not my words. It's not my arguments. It's not how, how smart I look or what I say or don't say. It's actually the Holy Spirit. It's about His work. Think about this for a minute. Think about Jesus' followers for a minute, His original followers, the, the 11 or the 12. They went from, if you, if you look back towards uh, the end of Jesus' life where He died on the cross, and He had His 12 disciples, and they were there, right? And, uh, and just before Jesus was arrested, after He was arrested, what did the 11 do? Well, He had Judas who betrayed Him, but the 11, they all fled, they all left, and they all abandoned Him because they were so scared, they were so scared that they too were going to be arrested. They were freaking out. And so they legged, and you even got Peter, who's watching from a distance, who actually has been with Jesus for three years and denies Him three times. He's that afraid. He's so scared. And so he, 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 uh, he uh, renounces Jesus then and there. And then Jesus dies, rises again, and ascends to heaven. Before he goes, he says, look, you guys, I want you tw- 11 guys. There's a blue-collared fisherman, uneducated. And he says, I want you going to be, be, be the basis of the church, my witnesses to the world. But Jesus says, but you've got to wait. Don't do anything. Don't lift a finger. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes in power got to wait for him basically saying you can't do anything until the holy spirit comes then what happens the spirit comes inside them and it turns these cowardly men who abandoned him these uneducated men and they turn and they then go and evangelize the whole world the basis of the church started with 11 very ordinary people and then all came through the power of the holy spirit he turned from cowards to these bold bold men and women who go and they go and witness to everyone and anyone to the ends of the earth. They're even threatened with death and they're persecuted. And they say, we count it as joy. We count it as joy. We're persecuted for you, Jesus. They didn't have a degree in theology. They hadn't been to Bible college. Yet the Spirit empowered them to recall all that he said. And often you read in the book of Acts, people saying, aren't these just fishermen? They seem like learned people. Spirit came and just transformed them. And God's power is not localized in one person like Jesus in one place anymore. It is now His power is in every believer scattered to the ends of the earth, fulfilling His mission of making disciples. And God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began His church, and we still feel the effects of that today. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in proclaiming Jesus. 
One author says this, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit guides, speaks, and moves. The disciples are simply trying to keep up. At their best, they are conduits of this mighty rushing wind, and he drags them to victory. It becomes readily clear that the Spirit, not them, is the one accomplishing the mission Jesus gave for them. And we have that same Spirit. We as witnesses empowered by the Spirit to go and just to whatever we've seen and we've experienced. He says, just use that. Jesus is building his church with the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's, I think there's no more exciting thing to be part of that. The Spirit purifies believers, grants boldness, teaches meekness, calls to mind truths, calls us to pray, opens eyes to the needs increases our desire to do the will of God, he opens the hearts of people who don't know him, bring conviction, and he softens hearts to him. And we've been, we've been invited and called to be a part of this mission to build this kingdom forever, showing people where to, where to find hope, how to get home, how to have a relationship with Jesus, what they long for. That is the call of the Holy Spirit in us, his purpose and our purpose and what God calls us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say we must learn to lean on the Spirit of God, knowing and remembering it's not about us, our words, our efforts, our strength, our intellect, but it's about the God, of, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit who is God, who is in us, working through us to this world. That's what we are called to do. And what we need to do is pray. I'm going to finish by praying. But I'm going to pray, I want to pray a prayer that I found from a, a hymn, a hymn called, O Breath of Life. It's going to be on the screen behind me. You can read along with me if you want, but I'm going to pray this for us, for us, for me, as we think about the work of the Spirit in our life and in our world. Let's pray. It says this, O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. O wind of God, come bend us, break us, till humbly we confess our need. There in your tenderness, remake us, revive us, restore. For, for this we plead. O breath of love, come breathe within us, renewing thought and, wi- and will and heart. Come, Lord of uh, love of Christ, afresh to win us. Revive your church in every part. Revive us, Lord, is zeal abating, while harvest fields are vast and white. Revive us, Lord, the world is waiting. Equip thy church to spread thy light. Here at City Light, we give you time to reflect on what God has said to you, hopefully he said something to you, and the Spirit is convicting you and, and encouraging you. I want to give you time to re- respond and reflect in your own mind, and then we'll sing together.